when he was six, we rode on horses made of sticks. He wore black and I wore white. He would always win the fight. Bang bang, he shot me down. Bang bang. Welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break bang, down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and Dean, it's your turn to speak. <laughs> And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and if any of you sons of bitches bring up my full-blown Aussie heritage as a negative, I'll collect your fucking head. And today I'll be breaking down the Tarantino revenge film Kill Bill. Dean, how are you, mate? Good to see you. Good to see you too, Hendo. How are you today? I'm doing okay. I, I think I've mimicked you a bit here recently. How so? i got to hiccup myself. Ah, yes. I, w- I would say that I came in and you seemed, you know, up and about, but you didn't, so... Unlucky. I guess that really only has that impact for me. Well, I'd already used my commanding presence and smugness earlier on today. <laughs> How'd that go for you? It was all right. There was no one here to see me, though, so oh. I was kind of wasted. <laughs> <laughs> Should record it next time. I will, maybe. Next time I get a haircut. Mm. Expect in a couple of months. Uh, we did have a another catch-up over the weekend. Came around, have some drinks with the family. Ah, yes, of course. It's uh, starting to get warm here in Australia, so... So it was the uh, perfect weather to start hanging out outside and have some drinks. Yeah, and it was a very nice night indeed. All right, Hendo, what else we got in store today? Well, Dean, after the breakdown, we'll take a look at what the listeners think about the film, as well as our question of the week, which also is our top five list this week, and that is Best Action Films of the 2000s. And then we're going to get into the Elite Eight of our Best Director Tournament, and there are some insane matches coming up, I'll tell you that. Nice, I can't wait. And then to wrap up the show, we're going to find out the next film will be breaking down off the list. But before all that... Give me the update. All right, Hendo, what are the moves on the IMDb Top 250 list this episode? Well, we've had a bit of a shift here, pretty high up. We see that Seven has moved over the top of A New Hope to number 21. Gee, it's random. Well, they they all shift every once in a while, Dean. Ratings change. It's not really not very random. Oh, it's pretty high up. Yeah, so? Well... That's what happens. I'm just commenting. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Let's take a look at our Infinity War watch here. It has dropped yet again. It's gone down from 38 to 48. Decent drop. Yeah, a bit of a drop there. I don't think it'll go too far down from this spot now, I reckon. It's probably locked in pretty close around this area. Rightio. What else we got? Whiplash has moved over rear window to 43. Nice. Mm-hmm. Making its way to number one. On its yeah gentle journey up to the top. Coco has dropped a couple of spots from 64 to 66. Yep. Gone down from... Witness for the Prosecution and American Beauty. We see that Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind has moved up a couple of spots from 87 to 85 over Amelie and A Clockwork Orange. Hmm. And that is it for the top 100. It's actually uh, the only changes really for a while. We do have a new inclusion, a new movie that's dropped into the middle somewhere. And that is A Star Star is is Born. born. Yeah, very good. I saw that was very high on IMDb. Yeah, it is debuted into the list at number 175. So we'll see what happens there. And I say we'll see what happens there because Mission Impossible Fallout is out of the list now. It's fallen out, has it? That's right. Very good. Very good, Dean. Good how pun. Did you, how did you not start up with that? <laughs> I wasn't even thinking. Blade Runner 2049 has dropped a couple of spots again from 222 to 227. And looking right down the bottom, as we always do, out of the list now is Touch of Evil, Eight and a Half, Beauty and the Beast, and Dog Day Afternoon. Ah, oh, come back, Dog Day. And in their spots are PK, Castle in the Sky, Suarez, and Three Colors Red. Mm. Have you seen any of them? Castle in the Sky. Fair enough. Have you? I don't think so. You haven't seen Castle in the Sky? That's what I just said. I don't think so. So you don't know? 
Well, I've seen a lot of those anime. It is Studio uh, Ghibli. Yes, yeah, Studio yeah. Ghibli's. I don't think I've seen it, but they do blend a bit. Oh, okay, fair enough. Well, who knows? We're going to probably have to watch it on the list at some point. Doubt it. If it's floating around the 250 mark. Well, we're going to get to 250 films eventually. Yeah, but let's hope by then. Let's have some positivity and let's hope it's Well, you don't Dog want to Day. watch it. No, I'd rather watch Dog Day. Yeah, but take out one of those other three. <laughs> take P- out Suarez. What about PK, man? Feels great. I've heard nothing but good things from you about that. <laughs> I don't know how. I haven't seen it. I realise that. Okay, we're about to get into the breakdown. Just be forewarned, we will be spoiling it from the jump. That's right. So we're going to take a quick break here, give you a couple of promos from some fantastic podcasts out there, and we'll be back on the other side with Kill Bill Volume 1. Hey, Jim. What are you doing this week? Uh, it's pretty much the same thing I do every week. I, I talk to you. That's true. We do talk every week. Yeah, and about some weird... Dumb stuff. Like, what if everything was a stupid movie cliche? Or, you know, like that when we accidentally started that Dave Franco uh, fan club called Dave Franco's Dream Boys? Right, or when we tr- we talked about get-rich-quick schemes that all involved goats? I like that. Um, can people hear us talk about these things? Yeah, they can. We actually do a podcast about them, uh, and you can get them anywhere, like iTunes, Stitcher, all the podcast apps. Nice. So you can subscribe to the Jupiter Boys from Wadolfa Shark Media today and listen to us talk? Yes, you can. Why doesn't everybody do that? I don't know. The Jupiter Boys. We definitely won't text your uncle. Hey, what's going on, you variety-loving people? I'm Brandon. And I'm Jordan. And we are the hosts of the Secret Space of Life podcast. Our podcast was created to spread positivity in your everyday lives while encouraging others to follow their dreams. We cover a variety of topics such as business, health and fitness, music, and much, much more. Make sure to check us out on iTunes, Google Play Music, Player FM, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Podbean for all of our episodes. Thanks, and have a positive and productive day. Not too long ago, I was quite the professional. My friends and I, we were the creme de la creme in an exclusive industry. And we all worked for this man, Bill. Then one day, I decided to leave settle down and start a new life. But when I tried to get out, they did me in. So, Kill Bill Volume 1, released in 2003, starring Uma Thurman, Lucy Liu, Vivica A. Fox, Daryl Hannah, and the voice and hand of David Carradine. Directed by Quentin Tarantino, his second of five films we'll be breaking down on this journey. Oh, wow. I'd forgotten we'd already done a Tarantino film. It was so long ago, That's wasn't right. it? That's right. We did Django Unchained, didn't we? Back in the heydays of episode two. Wow. <laughs> okay. Happy days. Yeah. So according to Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman, the idea for doing Kill Bill began during the filming of Pulp Fiction, where they were talking about the kinds of movies they would like to do, and Quentin said he really wanted to do a 70s-style kung fu flick. And Uma Thurman came up with the film's opening shot of her getting beaten up in the wedding gown. Yeah, they actually lost touch until one day they ran into each other and Tarantino pulled out his notes on Kill Bill and stopped, you know, the process of making his war film, which at that point would have been Inglorious Bastards, to do it. And they were about to get filming and all of a sudden Uma came out and said, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It was very unfortunate for the film, obviously. Congratulations to Uma. Um, Yes. All the best, etc. But um, no, so they actually put filming on hold to wait for Uma Thurman to have the baby. And about three months after she had the baby, she started training for this film, which is pretty amazing. 
That is pretty fantastic. Like three months may sound like a lot, but having a kid's a hell of a thing. So kudos to her for coming back so quickly. Yeah, that is some dedication there. He said um, he spent some time writing the script and that it actually took him six years to write the entire script, only for it to be split into two parts. The actual original draft was about 220 pages long. Mm. And I've read that, I don't know where I read this, but I read that one page equals roughly about a minute of film time. So it's actually, it got longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> Which surprises me because from what I've seen, Tarantino writes incredibly detailed scripts. He was actually writing scenes as he went along as well during the, during really? the filming. Yeah. As he was, as, as the scene, as the movie was getting filmed, he was continuously writing scenes. So, so in the end, they had so much extra footage of all these things they, they didn't even put in the movie because it just didn't work out. It's just he was going with it. He's writing his script. They were filming it and he'd work it out later on. Gee, I wouldn't mind seeing some of that extra footage. The only deleted scene um, I've been able to find for Kill Bill is actually only for Volume 2. So it's unfortunate that there's a lot more, that there isn't a lot more, you know, footage that we could see. But knowing how Tarantino is, yeah, he's, he does things his way. Exactly. If it's not good enough for him, it's not good enough for us. So That's right. Can't argue too much with that. But you say he was writing as he goes. He actually changed some, some characters around. So. Oren Ishii, for example, was originally going to be full-on Japanese, mm. but after watching Shanghai Noon of all things, <laughs> he actually fell in love with Lucy Liu and changed the Oren character to be part Japanese, part Chinese, you know, Asian-American character. So, I think that goes to show how much he just really wanted her in his movie. Yeah, no, you're exactly right there, Dean. Did you see who else was up for playing Bill at some points? Bill. I saw Mickey Rourke. Yep. Actually, I also saw one that almost got the part was Warren Beatty. Yeah, I saw that too. But he ended up turning it down and suggested David Carradine to Quentin Tarantino. Fantastic suggestion. But I must say, he had said that had it been a Warren Beatty that had gotten the role, it would have been a much more suave, more sort of James Bond-esque character as opposed to your rough kind of Western and it would have turned out to be a much, much different film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I also saw that Jack Nicholson, Kurt Russell, and even Burt Reynolds had a, an option to play, but they all passed. I mean, David Carradine could not be more perfect in this role. He's very, very good. He's and I, sensational. And I, say that, and I say that as the whole film. Like, he's very... He's not really in this film. Like, he, he he's voice acting, and there's a couple of hand gestures. The but voice actor, his voice... Oh, yeah. ...could not be better. I completely agree, but I, when I think of Kill Bill, I, I really don't think of Kill Bill as like Volume 1 and Volume 2. Even though they are technically, they it was never Quentin Tarantino's desire to make these two films. It's funny you say that, because I've been doing some reading on the Kill Bill A Whole Bloody Affair, mm. which is the two parts cut together, and a lot of it, even though it has a decent rating, I've read a lot of reviews, and they're actually quite negative on them, saying the way it's the it doesn't feel right. And that they would not recommend someone on a first-time viewing watching the two parts as cut together as one movie. That's very interesting. I imagine how it's cut. I, I would have assumed it's cut like... Because you don't get any of... I mean, this is going into sort of Kill Bill Volume 2 a bit, but you don't get any of the intro of Volume 2 where the bride's driving towards camera and she's talking about her motives and what she's doing at that point. Also, the very end of this movie, obviously, you find out that... The baby's alive. Yeah. There's no pause for like, oh my god. See, there's no. Would, there's no. That, there's no room for for tension there. I think that would be 
like um I don't know I, I feel, for me personally I feel like it'd be much more interesting like you think that the baby's dead from the start of this film and then when you get right to the end she's alive she's been alive this whole time that is that is just as oh my god as a, as opposed to you find out at the end of this film oh she is alive it's the same thing you just it's a longer stretch of time no 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 you still you'd still get that him talking to no no I I'm quite certain that the part at the end here where she gives her speech to Sophie in the yeah. in the trunk and then it cuts to to black, and then it comes back with her on the plane, writing writing down the list, and you get that those quick little snap fades to Bud and Al, and then you get that issue where her daughter's still alive. I'm pretty sure they put that in because they had to cut this in half. I don't think that was ever intended to be in the full Kill Bill. Oh, okay, My, that's interesting. From what I've seen, I thought that the the black and white bit at the start of the second one, where she's talking to the camera. I was to be assuming that that was going to be the start of the whole film. They, you, see, you get the black and white shot that we're getting coming up of her getting shot, and then it would cut to her saying, you know, I've killed all of them, now I'm going to kill Bill, and then it goes into chapter one, number two. And it just continues on from there, because Kill Bill Volume 2 starts with chapter six. It'll continue straight on from when she's talking to Sophie in the trunk. I don't know. For me, I've now grown up, well, hardly grown up, but I've spent all these years now watching them as two separate movies, I think it works perfectly, to be honest. Actually, I quite like it because I do really, really, really enjoy the which one is better, volume one or volume two. But I will say, if it was one film and it was collectively as awesome as these two volumes are and you didn't lose anything from it being one film, I mean, honestly, it would be almost my favourite movie of all time. Because, in all fairness, how I picture the whole film is, is they literally have the start of Kilber Volume 2 at the start of the movie. And then it's just watching the films, Volume 1 and Volume 2, in a row. That is mm. how I imagine that that would be constructed. Okay. And so... I, I mean, know. Just, just, you should watch the whole bloody affair. Well, maybe I have already. Maybe I watched Volume 2 straight after Volume 1. That's not watching the whole bloody affair. What's the whole bloody affair? That's the cut-together version. That's that's what I'm saying I imagine what it is, is the whole... I, I'm pretty yeah, sure... Yeah, but I just said, maybe you should watch the whole bloody affair, and you go, oh, maybe I have. Well, you haven't. Watching Volume 1 and then Volume 2 is not watching the whole bloody affair. The whole bloody so affair... So what would be the difference? That's what I'm asking. What would be the difference? Well, that's what we're discussing. Yeah. That's what we've just discussed. Don't say, yeah, like this is the start of a new conversation. <laughs> it's the same conversation we're just, just ending. About it. I just want to keep talking about it. <laughs> so the man who worked on the special effects in this film, Christopher Allen Nelson, he revealed in an interview that over 400 gallons of fake blood was used in both the films. I like the way you say in both the films, like it's not 99% yeah. <laughs> of it used in the House of the Blue Leaves. Yeah, no, okay, fair enough. There was one fan theory that suggests that Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2 are in fact the failed pilot of Fox Force 5 that <laughs> Mia Wallace was in in Vault Fiction. I mean, there is there is definitely some similarities, you know. You've got your, your five assassins with all different specialties and now it's not as defined in Kill Bill having these five people with five specialties you know yeah. one's not an expert with the knife one's not a poison master or whatever they said in Pulp Fiction but you can definitely easily see where the fan fiction has come from I can actually imagine that you, we did say that they started to come up with this idea during Pulp Fiction I'm sure that they actually grasped this idea from what from that conversation in Pulp Fiction said why don't we incorporate that we have the five assassins here mm. it's funny when I was watching a um, making of this film they did talk about this and the inception of this idea for this film and they show and I've watched a couple of making ofs and they both show the same photo of Tarantino leaning over to Uma Thurman at the diner yeah. which is the scene where she does actually yeah. talk about Fox Force 5 so I don't know it is interesting it's all very good how it ties in together it is so approximately $60,000 of the movie's budget was used on swords and sword accessories. 
$60,000. I mean, that's, yeah, that's massive, but there's, God, so many swords in this yeah. movie. A lot of sword accessories, a lot of sword play. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's good. What was the budget for this film? It was actually roughly about $30 million. Damn, that's good. But it did grab a domestic gross of $70 million and was the 40th highest for the year. And in the end, around the world, it grossed $181 million and was the 26th highest film of the year. That's so low. I do imagine, though, because it is an R-rated film. Yeah. Like, I know for me, I was 15, I think, when this film came out, and I was not able to see this at the cinemas. me neither. I'm almost certain as well, the first time I watched this, I watched a dodgy VCD. Do you remember VCDs? VCDs? Yeah. Is that a virtual compact disc? (laughs) Sure. It's it's a video CD. Um, Close. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I watched this VCD, and I'm again the picture quality terrible. Yep. I'm not even sure it had English subtitles for the Japanese parts. That's the, that is just how bad we wanted to see this. film. I know, and whether it was that copy or not, I know for sure. I have watched this film more than once with no subtitles, and was so annoyed because oh, well, you know what they were saying. Because so like after, I know, like after um, the bride leaves the fight with Vanita Green, it just kicks in with this. Yeah awesome, soft Japanese, you know, telling. And you're just like, oh, what are you saying? <laughs> I, I'm actually in the same boat as you. I remember I couldn't see it. I think I was roughly 16 at the time and wasn't allowed to go see it. You have to be 18 yeah. to see R-rated movies yeah. over here. So, yeah, I did what you did. I, I don't know how back then, but I stumbled across a, a pirated bootleg copy yep. of Kill Bill Volume 1. Watched it. It was dodgy as hell, but yeah. I needed to watch it. Yeah. But luckily, over in Australia, I don't know what it's like. I think it's actually in America. It's probably still R. But Kill Bill Volume 2 was MA. Yeah, here. I was so happy so that it was So I could MA. go see it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, rem- I saw it. I remember we got a group of mates um, around to my mate Sam's place. We watched Volume 1, and then we all went down to the cinemas and watched Volume 2. It was so good. Yeah, I'd imagine. And with an average of 8.1 over 867,000 ratings, it's currently sitting at number 169 on the top 250 list. Yeah, again, I think had it been one movie, this would be much higher. Well, Kill Bill Volume 2 was actually on the list for a while on itself, and it's actually just dropped out now because I believe the bottom rated film on the list is is at 8.1 as well, yep. uh, and I'm pretty sure that Kill Bill Volume 2 is sitting at 8.0, so it's just shy. Close, but no cigar. That's right. Now, Dean, what's your plot summary like? After awakening from a four-year coma, a former assassin wreaks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her. Very good, Dean. Very good. All right, let's get into this breakdown. I've got to give it to Tarantino. He certainly knows how to make his film stand out from the jump with this sure scope and our feature presentation just shows up immediately. It's it's so... It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's Tarantino. Yeah, like he can take... He can take these enormous risks now, and he's comfortable in doing so. Like, Reservoir Dogs is not a strange film. Like, there is, you can see the beginnings of, you know, Tarantinoism coming through, but it's really not until this film that I feel he leans so heavily into doing what he wants and making films the very unique way that he does. Well, this is a very strong blend of, obviously, Kung Fu martial arts films. There's some bit of black exploitation in there and definitely very grindhouse and some spaghetti western in there too. So he, he just gets all these different genres of film and throws them in this blender. So all this short scope and our feature presentation stuff was very prominent on all those films from, you know, the 70s and that. Mm. So why not throw it in there, he why says. Not? And then we get right into it. This black and white shot of the bride played by Uma Thurman, all bloodied and beaten. Hold on, just before that, we get that text come up 
Revenge is a dish best served cold. Ah, an old Klingon proverb. Of course. Did you know that in the whole bloody affair, they actually take that out and put in some tribute to some guy who's passed away? No, I didn't, Dean, because I haven't seen it. I think it would just go to show that this this little quote at the start really doesn't serve much, to be honest. If it did serve anything, it would be served cold. It would have been. <laughs> Fair enough. Well said. Yeah, so continuing back to the black and white shot here. Yeah. Before we even see the shot, we hear the sounds, don't we? We hear a heavy breathing. Yeah, and yeah. then the footsteps. Yeah, and you hear, obviously, Bill uh, come up to her, and you don't see him. You start hearing him, though, and you can tell who it is, though, by the handkerchief. That Bill on the yeah. handkerchief, like, oh. Not, not subtle at all. <laughs> and it's great. Like, at the end of the day, you're walking into a film called Kill Bill. Yeah. And the tagline for this film was actually, in 2003, Uma Thurman is going to kill Bill. Which actually turned out to be false. It did, because they split the movie <laughs> yeah. and released the one in 2004. But, like, you know a lot going into it. That's all you need to know. Like, the, the, the plot of this film is very simple. Extraordinarily She's, she's going to kill these people, and she's going to kill Bill. That is all you need to know. Yeah. So, when you see this first shot, where she's like this, and you see Bill over the top of her talking like he is, you know exactly why she wants to kill him. Mm, yeah. And you, you hear that he calls her kiddo. At the time, you think it's just some term of endearment, mm-hmm. but it will come to pass in volume two, and that's actually her name. And there's a few little clues to her name in this film. You know the one I picked up on watching it this time around? Tricks are for kids. Yes. Yeah. Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. You obviously know that's like the silly rabbit tricks are for kids, because that's a, an American serial, and that's the motto they have on, you know, for the serial. But Beatrix Kiddo, tricks yeah. are for kids. I'm like... Whoa, that's that's yeah. that's subtly impressive there. I didn't mind that. It is good. It is good. And finally, um, just in relation to her name, you actually can see if you pause it and zoom in, whatever, you can actually see her full name, Beatrix Kiddo, yes. on her plane ticket when she first travels to Okinawa. But it's so quick. And that's the thing. If it was made now, you would have the Reddit masters oh. all over that in a heartbeat. Exactly. But 2003, people weren't studying. I mean, they might have been studying, but they didn't have the technology so easily accessible Mm. that we do now. And I also think it's because all you had at that point, because it came out late 2003 and Kill Bill Volume 2 came out early 2004. Mm. So you found out her name rather quickly after the film came out. Mm. So all you had to go with was seeing it at the cinema at that point. Yeah. How were you ever going to... Or dodgy copies like we had. Yeah. (laughs) So you were never, ever going to find out her name unless you saw it like 50 times and you happened to be looking at every different corner you could while you're watching it. Speaking of dodgy copies, I'm pretty sure the first time I saw this and the first time um, Vanita Green says her name and they beep it out, I'm pretty sure I thought there was something wrong with my copy. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh God, not again. <laughs> but we get this fantastic line. This is me and my most masochistic. Do you know what masochistic means? Manly? <laughs> Manly? It's not macho-kistic. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, there's such, <laughs> such a difference I don't, there. I don't think that's a real it's word. It's masochistic, not macho-kistic. So, I looked this up because what I thought it meant is, I obviously know what sadistic is, it's where you take pleasure in the pain of others. Mm-hmm. I thought it meant masochistic was like the opposite, where you don't take any pleasure in someone else's pain, right? Because he's saying... You uh, you probably think I'm sadistic. I really hope you know I'm not, sort of thing. That's what I got from it. I actually looked up what masochistic is. Mm-hmm. It's actually enjoying your own pain. Okay, That's so weird. Yeah, Bill is saying here 
that he's not enjoying seeing her in pain, but he's enjoying being in pain that is being caused from her oh, being in pain. Oh, okay. Okay? I can, yeah, I can see that. It's an odd, like, when mm. I was trying to wrap my head around it, it's a very odd, odd sentence when you break Damn it down. Damn Tarantino and his script. <laughs> I just, I do love that opening line. And the voice of David Carradine, like, I know he just has a couple of little lines in this movie, but he's so smooth. Yeah. He's so gentle. But it's soft. menacing as well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's menacing yeah. as, but it is soft and caring and gentle at the same time. It's... This amazing blend, and you and I'm thinking this while you're seeing this absolutely beat up bride, and then you get <laughs> the bride finally speaks. But you see, you see some of her facial reactions. You hear like the gun click, and you see her face turn a little bit mm. more into fear. Like we're seeing what is happening to her just from her face. Like we know what's going on without even having to see what's happening. Yeah, just from her reactions. Yeah. And yeah, she does speak. Did you pick up on what she said the first time you watched it, if you can remember? I don't remember. It's pretty clear now, though. It is, yeah. But I think I remember when I first watched it, I was like, I, I did not know what she said because that gunshot goes off so unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. It's that, 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 is a, that is a massive jump scare. That is one of the best jump scares you could have. Bit of hyperbole there. Um, yeah, I mean, jump scare? Did ah, it not? It, not it, really. It comes it's- out of nowhere, really. Like, she's halfway through talking. You don't see the gun go off. You just hear the sound and the blood go everywhere. Yeah. And it's loud. Oh, it is. Yeah. And then, bang, fourth film by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> That's right. He's got to get the big name in there straight away. Oh, well, I mean, why not? He's making his mark well and truly now. So, you say fourth film by Quentin Tarantino. If you look at his filmography from here on out, he doesn't classify volume two as his fifth film. Hmm. He is under the impression that these two films are one big film. Well, in fairness, he, he filmed it all at once. He d- intended it to be It was meant one to be film. one film. Yeah. And it was decided to be split by the studio, you know, very late in the game. Like, they're already releasing taglines saying it's one film. Yeah, exactly. So, if he treats it as one film, why can't we? Well, it's not released as one film. But it's one film, according yeah. to the director. I mean, do you... So, obviously, in your, you know, top movies of all time, you have these next to each other, do you? Well, no, I don't have them side by side because I just have it as one film. I just have it as Kill Bill. Yeah, I don't class it as one film. I think I, I, I'm really on the on the edge of, like, what I should do here because... I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't stress too much about it. But I have... I, I <laughs> <laughs> so, we get the opening credits, which I didn't mind at all. Normally, opening credits I find quite boring, but the music here, this... Bang, bang, he shot me down. Like, it's much like this film where you've got such this gentle, slow melody playing. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's violent as. Like, there is an underlay of violence to everything here. And then the song picks up and we see, and it's still black and white, we see the bride lying on her back. Yeah, the lyrics to the song are very literal to what is actually happening right now. Absolutely. Actually, do you remember the remix of this song? Maybe. It was horrible. Was it? It was so bad. Okay. I hated it when they bought that out. Like, you're going to nab a Tarantino Did song. Did they play it at the clubs? All the time at the clubs. Did they really? All the time. <laughs> It'd be like, my baby shot me down. Oh, my God. Come on. Enough. Pull the cord out. You loved it. Don't lie. <laughs> Maybe I did, actually. I couldn't help it. Kill Bill. I love you, Quentin. All right, you caught me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Okay, chapter right, one. Chapter one. What do you think about the film, actually, with its chapters? It was great. It's very good. Yeah, it is. It is very good. I, I like it because most of them have their titles, and they're, they're very mysterious. 
Like you go, you have chapter one, two, and a circle. So yeah. Like, all right. I love that. What's that, that about? And you it's... find out right at the end what that was about. Yeah. Of the chapter. You find out right at the end of the chapter yeah. what it was yeah. about. Yeah. 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 So we have this Vanita Green fight. Mm. So she arrives at, you know, this just normal suburban home. Yep. She walks in and it's almost bloody idyllic. I think it is a good use of these small little flashbacks over her eyes as you quickly see that obviously Vanita Green played some part in the bride getting messed up here. You also see some throwbacks to some old martial arts films with like that quick zoom on the eyes as it comes in. And then you get that red lens just cover the entire screen and you see Vanita beating up the bride at her wedding. Exactly. No less. Exactly. The nerve. Exactly. <laughs> Which is really important, honestly, though, because it establishes a timeline. Because you've got to see that the first scene is her getting shot in a wedding dress. Hmm. And, like, you think, like, you she don't gets know when shot this is in the head and yeah. blood comes out. Like, you think she's dead. You don't know when this is happening. Yeah, you have no idea. So, having her see Vanita Green and then have her remember getting beat up at the wedding, it tells you that she survived that. Exactly. But what has Which happened is since huge. then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's like, she's cruising around. She's all normal. It's like... Okay, so a lot of ha- a lot has happened in between this. Mm. But what do you think of that little score that they have every time she's re- reminiscing on this? I mean, it's it's just classic old school kung fu. Like, yeah, it's, and like no one else is doing that nowadays, especially not in, in America. No. So for him to do it, like it's bringing this genre to a whole new audience. Like it, n- most people who see this would not have seen that ever. No. In an, in these old Hong. Hong Kong films, and I'd imagine it would actually turn some people off of the film. They'd be like, "What is this? This is weird. I don't, I'm not. Uh, I'm not liking what's happening here." Mm. See, I think that the the score was. It, it felt a little jarring. That that high pitch. That it's like it, it's it's kind of conveying anger, which is what she is feeling at that point. Oh, you you learn to love it though. Oh yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but at the time, you're like, "Whoa, that's that's annoying." <laughs> Really? Well, the, okay. Imagine if you you're have a first, that first negative thing. I imagine if you're a first-time viewer and you hear that, you're like, whoa, I don't, I don't know about it's that. It's okay to think it's annoying, Hendo. I did think it's annoying. Not okay, anymore. I know. You've just said it's annoying. Well, I'll say it again. Good. Now, this fight scene, like, you, you know straight away, like, we're, we're always talking about the, the martial arts, like the old classic Kung Fu 70s martial arts in this film. The sound effects, the punching sound effects, they mirror that exactly. Yeah, they are like, so over the top. They are. Like, even un- when they jump over, like, a fallen table, you get that. There's so many. And the knife, like, you know, they move the knife slightly. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's so good. Yeah, but it's not. I don't think it's too loud, though. Like, no. I wasn't watching it like, gee, that's, you know, like, it's not as bold as the the loud music and the focusing on, on, on the eyes. No. Like, this is a much more subtle approach and it's oh, it's great adds that other layer to it but speaking of the fight scene this it's brutal it's oh I thought you were going to hit me with an excellent then no 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 it is brutal they destroy the interior of this house oh yeah everything is destroyed but they're not treated as indestructible though because there's this one bit where Vanita Green pulls the the glass cabinet on her yeah. and it smashes on her and she cowers you yeah. know and then when she gets up there's this little moment where she's delicately climbing yeah. over it so as not to get glass in her. And it's great because it shows she's not just some, you know, superhero who would just jump up automatically, but yeah. she's, yeah, she's this real person and it's very realistic. Yeah, you feel like every impact that they get hit, it is, mm. it's, it's such a well choreographed fight, which, it, which I'm going to say a lot in this film. This is a very well timed choreographed martial arts fight film. Yeah, I read that the choreographer was the same one that did The Matrix, Wu Ping Yun. Well, it's not a coincidence we've done two Wu Ping Yun films. Who would have thought? 
And it does end up with a bit of humor at the end when the bus rocks up. Oh, it's it shines a light on how almost ridiculous what they're doing is, you know? Like, when you're taken out of this, you know, we've got two assassins fighting to the death. Hold on, here's this little girl and her mummy's standing there. Yeah. The house is torn up. She's covered in blood and she's just... <laughs> Mommy, I'm home. Hey, baby. How was school? It just, it juxtaposes the scene so well. Yeah, like, it does show how the times have changed for her. Like, she was this old, this deadly mm. assassin back in the day. And they, they the two worlds mixed together perfectly here. She's this mum now, this family mum. Mm. And I think it's great as well that when you see the bus rocking up, you see the fear on Vanita's face when she realised her baby girl's about to walk in. But she doesn't want to give up the knife. And she looks, she looks like she's yeah. scared to the bride. And I think this shows just a lot of... It shows a level of professionalism and humanity from the bride that she cares about not traumatising this child. Yeah. yeah. I think that's great. You see it later on after Nikki goes to her room that they can have this conversation, you yeah. know? Like, they can have this, all right, let's organise this time to fight. What'd you make of this conversation they had? So when do we do this? It all depends. When do you want to die? Tomorrow? The day after tomorrow? How about tonight, bitch? Splendid. Where? There's a baseball diamond where I coach our little league about a mile from here. We meet there around 2.30 in the morning, dressed all in black. Your hair in a black stocking. And we have us a knife fight. We won't be bothered. Well, I, I feel like they're, they're trying to remain professional in this. Like, they are, you know, whether they're retired or not, they are. But they're professional assassins. So, for them to actually have a, a legitimate conversation about what they're going to do and how they're going to do this... They don't want to do it in front of the kid, obviously, and the bride is very susceptible to that. So, they they organise this this night knife fight, mm. which I'm so disappointed we didn't get to see. That would have been amazing. <laughs> I was I was hoping for it when I first saw it. Really? Okay, fair enough. But it's it's all a stall. It's all a stall for Vanita. She mm. knows what she's going to do because. And when she comes out and she says, "I'm going to make Nikki some cereal," I'm just like. It's like afternoon. Who the hell has cereal when they come home from school? Maybe there's nothing else in the fridge. That's weird. <laughs> Did you notice yep. the name of the packet of cereal? <laughs> I noticed it. Kaboom. Kaboom. <laughs> okay, come on. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, definitely a little hint of what's to come here. Before we move on from here, did you see the little subtle square that Uma Thurman draws? Yeah. Yeah, yeah she's talking about... Um, getting even. Getting even. She's like, oh, no. If I had to get even, get square, and she draws the yeah, square. Pulp Fiction style. Much like she does in uh, Don't Be a Square. <laughs> we do get our first couple of beeps. Yes. Beatrice, yes. Beatrix's name. Yes, we do. Now, I imagine that that was always intended, do you reckon? That they always intended to have the beeps when they when he had the first cut. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I do. And just after we get her first couple of beeped names, she actually mentions that she had a girl once. She would be about four now too, just like her daughter. Hmm. There is no way in hell that kid is four years old. Yeah, I have a four-year-old daughter. No. <laughs> like, no chance. No, nah, not at all. At least seven or eight. And what kind of parent lets their four-year-old catch a bus <laughs> by themselves? They'd be like kinder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit iffy. <laughs> I do love the Nikia. <laughs> Upstairs, right now. <laughs> yeah, she, she's got that kid on lockdown. Mm. We do get the reveal that Nikki did witness the murder. Mm. Did you ever hear about the supposed Kill Bill Volume 3? Absolutely. 
I mean, that was a crackpot theory going around, wasn't it? It was never. It was never intended. I don't think so. Well, it would have happened by now. Yeah, it would have, but that doesn't mean it was never intended. I don't, I don't think because Tarantino has said himself about it mm. that if they were to make another one, it, the main character would be Nikki here, and it would be about her story of vengeance against the bride. I don't. Yeah, I'm sure he said that. That's that is a thing that could happen. I don't think there was. I don't think he had any plans ever to do it. And you would know how. Uh, that's my theory. Theory sucks. Well, Although, worked out better than your theory. <laughs> yeah, well, it happened. The, you've got the benefit of hindsight. Like, it's all I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Counts for nothing. <laughs> so we know, as this is a Tarantino film, there's a good chance that it's going to be a non-linear film, right? Obviously, we've had <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, we've had Pulp Fiction. Jackie Brown was in order. I mean, Jackie Brown was in order, but it did jump around a little bit. It told different perspectives of the same Oh, thing. yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, it's kind of like- It wasn't a, completely linear. Yeah, no, I agree there, especially the, the mall scene. Yeah, the it, mall yeah. scene's yeah. what yeah. I'm thinking oh, Fair of. enough, yep. yeah. Okay. But with this one, we do need to find out a couple of things here with this non-linear structure here. Like, we find out when she gets to the car, she crosses off Anita's name, and we see that she's already crossed off our own issue's mm. name. On her death list five. So, we're like, okay, so she's obviously done this already- which get- is an incredible bold choice to show that she's already killed Oren Ishii. Yeah. And they show it clearly. Like, this is her death list. She's just cro- crossed off Vanita because she's killed her. And above her is the crossed off Oren. Like, you know at this point she's killed Oren. Yeah. It's gutsy. But now it's the story of how she does that. Which I guess mirrors the whole Kill Bill. Like, you know she's going to kill Bill. Yeah, I mean, come on. She has to. Or she's going to at least get to the point where she has the opportunity. Yeah. But I mean, really, you know she's going to kill Bill. It's called Kill Bill. She's not going to not kill Bill. All right. I mean, a ballsy so- choice if they end up getting together at the end. I'm sorry. It's okay. I forgive you. The <laughs> end. Let's walk off with that kid. Yeah. It's like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> but no, very impressive. We also get the first shot of the pussy wagon as well. Ah, yes. Tarantino's favorite car. That's right. He actually kept this car. Or it's you know, He keeps this car. And he drove it around often to promote volume two of Kill Bill. Yeah. And he's also lent it to, was it Nicki Minaj and Lady Gaga? Yeah, I, rem- I do remember it being in the telephone music yeah. video with Lady yeah. Gaga. For a couple of uh, yeah music videos. Now, I want to talk about the way he did structure by having the Vanita scene first. I think it is better to have have this here first. Get it out the way because it is such, in terms of the Oren Ishii death or the, the whole- the Oren Ishii. Oren Ishii, it's like two eyes. Yeah. It's not Oren Ishii. No, but the way Japanese language yeah. is, like, she is one syllable and e is another. Mm. So, Oren Ishii. Mm. Yep, okay, fair enough. Good to know you have a, a skill in Japanese language. Well, I did. I, I don't want to brag, but I did do year 12 Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive. Now, I do like how they, they move this Vanita scene out of the way first because the whole storyline of her... Getting her samurai sword, going to Tokyo, taking on everyone just to get to Oren Ishii. To have that go first, and then at the end, oh, it's this quick little scene where she kills Vanita. It's like, oh, that's a bit lackluster. Okay, there is no way that would ever happen. As From a film perspective, there's no way they would do Oren and then Vanita Green. What they could have done, though, is have number one on her list be Vanita Green, and number two on her list be Oren Ishii. But she needs to get her sword. The whole origin is, is to go and get her Hatari Hanzo sword. She's over there already. And what she says here as well, when she's ha- having to wiggle her toe, Oren Ishii was the easiest one to find because she's a you know mob boss of the Yakuza. Yeah. Where Vanita would have been a lot more harder to find. Yeah. 
But we don't see any of that searching for these characters. No. Which is great. Like, you don't need it, obviously. But I'm just saying, if they were to, you know, go for a more linear structure, which obviously Tarantino couldn't give two shits about, it would be, they would definitely have Vanita Green as number one and Oren as two. I still like it the way it is. Oh, oh, don't get me wrong. I much prefer it the way it is. Yeah. And as I said, I think it's great that you already see that Oren's already killed. Yeah. And then you're going to go back and start, and you sort of see it from there. No, I I love how he structured it. And you get some time travel here four and a half years ago. We go back to the blood-splattered bride. Yes, we do, in El Paso, Texas. Moving into some spaghetti western here Mm. (laughs) before we head over to the east. There's a great shot of the sheriff driving with the aviators lined on his yeah, that was on good. his dash. It was yeah, that was nice. I also like the shot of him looking at the bride, and it's green. And I'm like, why is it green? Yeah, and he realised because of his sunny, yeah. so he takes them off. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was good. Yeah, but he says nine dead, you know, which is not true, but you think it is. So there's nine dead, and then he realises the bride is still alive, and she spits at him. Yeah, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> So then you're thinking eight, but then as soon after once you obviously she's alive, but she's lost her baby, so you think it's kind of still nine. Yeah. Did you notice the similarity between the sheriff walking in, the close up of the footsteps of boots walking, the same way you saw Bill? Yes, I did. There's a lot of close ups of feet in this film. Yeah. Too many? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird. I think Tarantino has a thing for feet, I'm uh, telling you. I mean, it's for sure he does. Yeah. For sure. Even in Pulp Fiction, you get the close-up of Uma Thurman's feet. Maybe he just has a, an infatuation with her feet. Wouldn't surprise me. No, because he chose to have the five, six, seven, eights barefoot as they do their ah, performance. Yes. yes, of course. Which, again, is weird. Like, you don't need that. Maybe it's just his trademark. He's like, he's, oh. he's bare feet. Yes. Bare feet and long takes. Hmm. So, we know, obviously, we find out that she's alive. We already knew that. And we cut into the hospital. And hmm. we get our introduction to L Driver. This tune here this whistling is iconic it is many a time have i found myself whistling this thing (laughs) and i must say daryl hannah looking stylish as fuck like that eye patch and then it's hilarious where she changes into the nurse's (laughs) uniform and it's got this and she's got the the, the medical um no that's great i did cross on it it's great i did find out that the split shot that he does here is actually a homage to Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma, of course. Yeah, which they do do again in the second volume. I did find it interesting how they introduce Al with the text over the top here. And is that because there was no other way really to do it? Because with Vanita, you got voiceover by the bride. And with Oren Ishii, you do get some voiceover. You get a whole story for her. Yeah, you get a whole on. <laughs> but with Al, is it because when we meet her, the bride's in a coma? So how can she be giving us dialogue? Mm. Do you you feel like that's why they did that? Or do you think it's because she's not as big as a character in this portion of the... uh, In this volume? Well, she should be thanking her lucky stars she's actually in this film. Like, really? Like, you look at Michael Madsen... He he gets a little snippet from the second movie in here. Exactly. Like, he's he's not in this film. No, but he gets credited like he is. Like, he is. He's got... You know, you see him when they're all standing over the body. I mean, in fairness, I think all the actors here would have got paid for doing one movie. Yes. Which sucks for them. Yeah, I reckon. (laughs) Like, if they had planned this out to be a a one and then a sequel, they would have easily gotten paid more for the sequels than this film. That's right. What do you think of Daryl Hannah in this scene? I thought she was good. I thought she overacted a bit, to be really? honest. I think that's the character. You see her, how she acts when she gets more screen time in Volume 2. I think it plays well to the character. Mm. Where do you think she overacted when she was on the phone? Yeah, the way she sort of like flares her nostrils and eyes like they... Thought that was pretty fucking funny, didn't you? 
stuff like that, I was like, yeah, rein it in a bit, Daryl. Rein it in. Okay. Well, she's gone from the film now. So, I think she wanted to just take that opportunity, get that spotlight for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, she does lose her shit here when she's on the phone again to the seductive Bill. And you see, like, Bill being so affectionate towards her. And you just know that that's how he would have been with the bride. He's the same with Sophie later on as well. Mm. My sweet Sophie. My sweet Sophie. Well, he's, he's a charmer, isn't he? He is. A snake charmer. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. But we do see that he has some sort of morals and ethics here. He tells her oh, for not sure. to kill her. It'd probably be against his code or something to kill them while they're asleep. I mean, he acts like this hero here, but... He did he w- <laughs> No, but he would have instructed Elle to go and do this. Like, this isn't like he happens to call her at this time. He has told her to do this, and then he's obviously sitting there stroking his he's thought sword... thought afterwards. ...and has decided that they can't do that. Yeah. So, you know, like, he does come across as this, you know, it would lower them and all this sort of stuff, but at the end of the day, he's, he would have been the one who initiated this. Yeah, good point. So, we get four years later... So that means that there's still six months between now and when he kills Vanita. So we've still got a big chunk of story to go here. Six months. Hmm. Now, am I correct to assume here that a mosquito brought her out of her coma? No. What do you think happened? What, what got her out of the coma? I'm not a doctor, Hendo. They zoom in on the mosquito, sucking blood out of her, and she shoots up. You think that this woman is getting raped regularly, right? Doesn't bat an eye, but a mosquito lands on her. <gasps> oh my God, I must wake up. Why do they have the mosquito shot then? I think it just signifies that there are people around her who are sucking the life out of her. Okay, that's an interesting analogy. Like, I could see it. I think that's more likely than the mosquito woke her up. Well, that's how it looks, to be honest. The mosquito lands on her. You see a nice big close-up of the skin getting sucked, and she shoots up after four years. Mm. She's had worse done to her. That is true. As we soon learn in graphic detail with the old, not Vaseline, mind you. Vasalub? Vasalube. Is it Vasalube? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is pretty messed up what these guys are doing. It's oh, it's disgusting. It's hard. Like, and you wouldn't even think that this sort of thing could go on, but you see it here, and you're just like, "Oh my god, Gee, is that I actually- hope this doesn't happen." What? That's it messed probably up. Is. I mean, it probably does. That's messed up. Yeah, but obviously they get what's coming to them. Thank God. But I love how you see her breathing more heavily and even swallow a couple of times when they're talking while she's like pretending to be in the coma now. She's mm. awoken. She lays down. And as she's listening to them, you can kind of see her like getting angry. I'm just more impressed with her ability to lower her heart rate so quickly because she wakes up, her heart rate, you can hear it beep, 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 beep. You know, she screams, she taps a metal plate in her head and yep. it's like, oh my God, what's happened? Like, it's like she's woken up a second after she's shot, you know, like yeah. she doesn't know the timeline or anything. Yeah. And then she hears these people coming, it's still beep, beep, beep. And then she lies down and it slows, like beep, beep. Well, she's a trained assassin who oh, can, I've... like, punch wood from an inch away and... Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that's an error. I'm just impressed at the ability. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so she rips the guy's lip off. We don't actually Gr- see... Great cut. Oh, yeah. Great cut here where he sort of... <laughs> <laughs> gets, you know, starts to get on it and then there's just that... Ah! And you see that, like, two-second shot you of... You get that look away as well, like they do in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And you get that, like... But this two- time you see it. <laughs> you get that, like, two-second shot of her, like, biting his lip off or tongue out, whatever. I remember the first time I saw it, I thought it was his tongue, but it is his lip. It's the lip, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, cut to black and then it cuts back and he's dead. Mm. Like, she's obviously done a couple more things to him to kill him. I don't mm. think a lip bite's gonna <laughs> gonna kill him. But there's a lot of tension in this scene because she's on the floor, she can barely move, she's trying to pull herself over, and you get the nurse coming towards her. Buck. Buck. My name's Buck. <laughs> 
and I came here to treat you medically. <laughs> That's hilarious, Hendo. Well, it's better than the version they gave. I love their version. Do it you? rhymes. <laughs> no one doesn't even rhyme. All right, moving on. How great is the cut where you see him walk in? First of all, it doesn't really give the guy much notice to, you know, zip up if he's, you know, he sort of just walks in a fair bit, but anyway. He doesn't care. <laughs> um, anyway, so how great's the, the shot where he walks in and you don't realise that the bride's behind him. Yeah. And he's just like, what the? And it's sort of like the slow motion. Yeah. And the music kicks in and then the the camera pans down and she's laying there. Slashes his and it's just like tendon. Quick, <laughs> brutal. And it's like smashing his head in the... Where's Bell? Whack. And he says, please stop hitting me. <laughs> Where's Bell? <laughs> Where's Bell? But he doesn't get time to really talk because she gets some flashbacks of when he first meets her and she knows exactly what he's there for. And it's weird, though, because it's filmed like she's remembering it, but obviously she couldn't have seen anything. No, nah, she wouldn't have seen it, but you know, it's better for us visually to see what's going on there. And she ends up caving his head in with mm. the door. Mm. Nice crunch and you get the little the nerve twitch of the foot. Well, it's, yeah, it's virtually his old body. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Oh, and by the way, nice one, bride, putting on the shades. Like, that's really going to fool anyone. Sticks on the shades and looks out like, oh, I'm inconspicuous now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Righto. But even though this film does have a heavy dose on some unrealistic tendencies, I like how Tarantino shows you the full struggle of what someone would have to go through to actually sit up without the use of their legs. You ever tried that? No. Why would I have ever tried that? What kind of a stupid question is that? Hey, have you ever tried to, like, pretend like you have no legs? Haven't you? Have you? Of course not. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> we do see her struggle, like, so much in this, but it also shows the will of the bride as well and what, how she manages to do it. I mean, I'm no medical doctor, but when you have, like, your legs in atrophy, is it a mental thing? Like, surely physically your muscles would be trash from not using them for four years. Yeah. But it's it's played like it's just, oh, she's just got to tell her mind to, to yeah, do Yeah, exactly. It. But that, that's sort of like they need her to start moving her feet again. So they're going to throw in this, oh, it's just, just willpower. It's all good. But I like, like I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Like, is there some element of mentality to this? There could be. You have to ask someone who gets the gets their feeling back in the legs after this amount of time. If it was had to do with a lot of willpower, I'm sure it has a lot to do with willpower. Now you said the word atrophy before. Mm. When she starts talking about this, she says, "As I lay in the back of Buck's truck, trying to will my limbs out of entropy." Well, she's only human. Because entropy is actually a state of disorganization or formlessness. However, the word was actually a mistake from Uma Thurman when she said it. And in an interview, she actually said the line was supposed to be atrophy. Really? Yeah. But she accidentally said entropy instead. But they like how it sounded, so they left it in there. Really? Yeah. They liked how the mistake sounded. Yeah. That's weird. But it okay. is very weird. Hmm. So we're into chapter three, the origin of Oren Ishii. That's right. That's right. This anime. Oh, it's... It's so good. Mm. It's it's epic. amazing. It it's is so epic. good. Like the music, and in particular, when she's under the bed and the dad's just been killed, which is terrible. Exactly. But then she's lying there and the mother gets just brutally stabbed down with that, that sword. Yeah, that score. And it just, yeah, the score. It, got, it nearly had me in tears. Oh, it's and going, oh my so, God. And when she's so like, good. When she like whimpers, mummy, I'm like, oh. And then she like... 
grabs the word whimper and shoves it back in her yeah, mouth. Only something you can do in an anime. Like there's like, stuff in this anime bit that you could not do if in real life. Mm. But yeah, this story, this origin story, even the story is sensational. It's like it's incredibly violent, it's mm. disturbing. The whole thing is just intense and frenetic. It's like its own little movie in the middle here. Oh, it is. And it sets up this great sub-villain that is going to face off against the bride at the end of the film here. And we know it's going to be an ordeal just based off the history of Oren here and where she is now, like this leader of this Tokyo underworld. She's, she's The Yakuza. Not gonna, the Yakuza, exactly. She's not going to be able to walk up to her right now, is she? She's going to ha- have to go through a lot of st- a lot of stuff here to get mm. to Oren. Actually, according to David Carradine... This is so stupid. I mean, I... Okay, so... Say it. <laughs> yeah. The man who kills Oren's father is supposed to be Bill, according to David Carradine, a yep. young Bill. Yeah. And I went back and looked at it, and I'm like, eh, okay, like, it, it, it does... I can see it. Really? But I'm like, well, what does it have to What does it have to why, do with it? Why would she... Like, there's no animosity between Oren and Bill. Like, yeah. it makes no sense. Like, why would Oren go and work for someone who has killed her dad? Like, you saw the revenge she takes out on Boss Matsumoto. And I can't imagine that she would just let fly that the other henchmen... Like, it doesn't make sense And it's sense not even like a, she wouldn't even remember who it was, because she would definitely remember who it was. Yeah, and everywhere like I've read it, that's the only reference, like, the actor has said, yeah. oh, that's that's a young Bill. He just wants to be in the film, he wants to get a bit more money. <laughs> yeah. We talk about it being violent. How brutal was the shot where the boss is clenching his teeth so oh, hard and the teeth that the teeth out. break? Yeah. <laughs> and the sound effect on that, it's like, it's, it's clenching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was some fantastic shots in that anime. I, I especially like when she's in the red suit and she's got the giant sniper rifle on the yeah. on the building. That it's just a follows great shot. follows the bullet straight through. Yeah, straight through. Yeah. But we cut back to the bride, still wiggling her toes, <laughs> trying yep. to. Thirteen hours later. She finally gets it all good. She's out walking. Yep. Then and we get our travel by map. Chapter four. The man from Okinawa. That's it. Now we see that Hattori Hanzo is working in a sushi restaurant here. Hmm. Now the fact is, he's actually in Okinawa, and Okinawa is widely regarded among the Japanese as the single worst place in all of Japan to get decent sushi. Mm. So Tarantino deliberately made the decision to have Hattori Hanzo operate a sushi restaurant in Okinawa because it permitted Hanzo to leave his former life behind and not be bothered by those who tried to seek him out after having taken his blood oath. Yeah, it's a um, nice little piece of information that yeah. you don't get from the film. But it just shows the, the thought and effort that goes into these sort of decisions. Yeah, that's right. I did like the talk about the Japanese language pronunciation here. Because it just sets us up here so beautifully as this ditzy nothing tourist. Yeah, this cute American girl she puts on. Yeah, and she's struggling with like the, the domo and you know he's asking what words she knows. And she's like, oh, have I already said domo? Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming it's because she wants to warm up to him. She doesn't want to come in and go, hey, I want a sword. She wants to like butter him up a bit here. Why else would she do it? Why wouldn't she just come and say, I need a sword? Mm. Yeah, no, I guess you're right. What do you think of the back and forth between Hattori, Hanzo, and his apprentice, I guess he is? <laughs> Hilarious. Yes. I love the line, like, I've been doing this for like 30 years. Any other industry, you know, I'd be a general now. <laughs> and he's just like, if you'd be a general, I'd be an emperor, yeah. and you'd still be getting it for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even just like the, the reactions, the, oh, <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah. I love how the second that the bride brings up that she's looking for a man, 
I love the way that Hanzo just immediately changes who he is. Did you hear the smash? Which smash? I'm pretty sure it was the other guy dropping the sake bottle in the back. Oh, really? Yeah, because he, Hanzo has a knife, so he didn't drop anything. Because hmm. she says it to Hanzo, and he looks up, he hears this smash, and I'm like, the other guy's obviously listening as well. Yeah, okay. That would make sense. But as soon as she mentions that she's looking for her Tori Hanzo, he, he just changes immediately because mm. he realizes everything she said is garbage and he just starts talking perfect fluent Japanese, yeah. expecting her to understand it. And she does. Which she does. And then you get her going up to the attic or something like something similar mm-hmm. and checking out all these swords, these Hattori Hanzo swords. And you get this choir music, like this very raise you up kind of music, like it's... Mm. It's mixed in with these these crossfades as well. This, this, I think this is the first time in the film that you have shots fade into each other. Mm. And it really gives off this impression that these swords are just legendary. Like, it's all... Holy. Very, holy yes, holy, exactly. Yep. Like, the way she scrolls across them all. And then you get that mixed shot with Hattori mixed in into the shot with the bride as she's looking at the samurais. Mm. Like, it's a very well-designed and interesting shot. Like, it's there's nothing else like it in the movie. Yep. No, it is great. It is great. I love... Then give me one of these. These are not for sale. I didn't say sell me. I said give me. <laughs> you know, and he's like, he just laughs like, yeah, right, you know. He's thinking, oh, I've taken this blood oath. Nothing you can say will change yeah. it. And the second he realises that she's looking to kill Bill, he just... He, he's very solemn about it. You he's never, not happy. You never find out why... He's upset at Bill. I mean, you can imagine that the reason he's so filthy about it all is because Bill has probably tricked this guy into making these swords for him for uses that aren't to become worldwide assassins. Yeah, exactly. He's probably he's also maybe like some sort of student of his too, and he's gone out and yeah. used it for the not the greater good. Exactly. Like yeah. you know, samurai aren't about mass murder of yeah. you know of people. Like their way, you know, the bushido. The way of the samurai is not about, you know, being assassins. Yeah. It's about having respect and dignity and all that sort of stuff. He even writes his name on the window instead of saying it. He just can't even say his name. He's mm. like, that's that's what he is to him. Mm. Do you see how it, when he threw the baseball at her and she cuts in half? That, yep. was like, that actually happened on set. That was real. Yeah, that happened by stunt woman Zoe Bell. Yeah, Tarantino favourite. Tarantino yeah, alum. Yeah, she stars in Death Proof. Yes, and... um. Stunts for most of his films as well. I know she's done Woman in Glorious Bastards mm. as well. So she, she's been there. What do you think of the next scene where she's getting the sword now? He's describing the sword. That's great. I, I love it when he says, I can tell you with no ego, this is my finest sword. Yeah. He's saying that uh, God will be cut. If yeah. you come across God in your path, he'll yep. be cut. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It is, it is a very effective scene. No, it is. I love it that, is- I love that that angry little, um, sous chef from earlier. Yes. Is, you know, he's he's transformed as well. He's yeah. now this solemn participant in this ritual. It's great. It's yeah. great. But we get into Chapter 5, The Showdown at House of Blue Leaves. Hmm. Great name, by the way, House of Blue Leaves. It is good. Apparently, it's after an old Hong Kong movie. That, yeah, that makes perfect sense for what Tarantino's going for here. We have Oren Ishii around her table of different bosses, and we get an introduction to her three subordinates, her sidekicks, you get that little weird sound as well each time they introduce someone. Mm. Did you notice the actress Gogo? Have you seen her in something? Jesus, I honestly don't know. Obviously, I have if you're asking me. Yes, that's true. <laughs> She's actually in Battle Royale. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Actually, Tarantino got in a bunch of Japanese actors from various Japanese films, like the boss Tanaka who gets his head cut off here. He's actually one of the main stars from Ichi the Killer, if you've heard of that film. Of course. And this scene with Boss Tanaka 
is great. Oh, it is. It's fantastic. Like, I love... Just just want to quickly pour some out for the guy who got his guts ripped out by Gogo at the bar. Unfortunate for that guy. Unfortunately, it was a pedo. What are you, a pedo sympathizer? Isn't he a kid as well? He looked about 40. Did he? I thought he was like her age. She's 17. I thought he was a young kid as well. No. Oh, oh okay. No, don't pour any for out of that. Don't pour any <laughs> You take that, that back. Yes, you do not get that. <laughs> you drink that yourself. <laughs> no, completely with you then. <laughs> that's why she kills him. Because, I thought she's just crazy. She's- I mean, she's crazy, but <laughs> uh, that's to me, that's what I took from it is like, like she says, like, do you want to screw me? And if he says yes, then... He's a bit of a pedo. Let's kill him. Oh, okay. It sort of justifies that. Not that I feel she probably needs a lot of justification, <laughs> although like you never see her kill innocents, but she's clearly crazy. Yeah, no, fair enough. But back to Tanaka and the head lob. Mm, it's great. It is great. But how can you take the violence seriously with something like this? And I'm not saying this as a negative. Like, this is the violence in this film is incredibly over the top. Like, she, she cuts the guy's head off and you just get this straight up gush of blood just shooting up in the air. It's like a it's like a hose, yeah. honestly, and it like it pauses and and you hear the noise, yeah. Like, and when you see that, you're not like, Ugh. It's no, like, you're not you because laugh. it's yeah, exactly. It's it is comical because that's not how it would be, yeah. You know, and it's it's so violent it crosses a line of like gross violence into comical violence. Exactly. Now people, I don't know what what it's like now, but back in 2003, when people were like this is one of the most violent films we've ever seen, you know, you're gonna have to black and white some of this stuff. I feel like people just associated blood with violence. Like, there's a mm. lot of blood in this film. Mm. And I think that's what people say. Gallons oh, of it. Yes, lots of gallons of it. And I think that's where people just associated violence from, is just the amount of blood that's in the film. Sure, you get some limbs and a hacked off, but it's not in a way that is disturbing to watch. It is comical. Mm, very much so. I mean, there have been far more violent films that have come out in the last 15 years. In the last few months. Look at Mandy. Yeah, exactly. It's much more violent than this. Exactly. Yeah, and that's like that is disturbing violence. Yeah, that has an impact on you, like yeah. you know your mood and mental health. <laughs> Maybe that was just me. And then you get that great speech from Oren. The price you pay for bringing up either my Chinese or American heritage as a negative is, I collect your fucking head, just like this fucker here. Now, if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's commanding. It's I like I do like that she um says it in English, even though it really doesn't make a lot of sense. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's commanding and it's she's just a a beast, you know? Like this is not some prissy little woman at the head of these crime lords. Like she is a cold hearted killer. Yeah, and she lets it be known right here. Mm. No, that's great. So we get the travel to Tokyo. Do you notice in the background when she's coming off the aeroplane, you have a poster in the back for Red Apple Cigarettes? I did notice that. It's not a poster. It's a giant ad yeah. on the side of a wall. Yeah, I did notice Red Apple. Very timely from last episode's Pod v Pod. Certainly is. Did you see who the model was on the, the giant poster? No. It was actually Julie Dreyfus, who plays Sophie Fatel. Oh, really? Film. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice little tidbit there for your listeners. Does she look the same? Yeah. Now, you see that the bride is wearing this bright yellow suit. Now, that is obviously inspired by the outfit worn by Bruce Lee in Game of Death. It's a very mm. iconic piece. His last ever film. That's have right. you seen Game of Death? I have. No way. I have seen, I've I seen, thought I've there seen was a no chance you would have no, seen No, I've that. seen a couple of Bruce Lee films. I've definitely seen Game of Death. Wow. Obviously, you've seen Enter the Dragon. Yes, of course. I can't believe you've seen Game of Death. I went through a big 
Bruce Lee stage at one point. I watched documentaries on him, all that sort of stuff. We also get a quick glimpse of Sophie at the church as well when she's um, when the bride is on a motorbike looking at Sophie, and you find and you find out that she is, was also at the at the church when she was beaten. So she has some sort of vendetta against her as well. Yeah, and you know you hear the same ringtone. Yeah, is that the most unbelievable thing in this movie? I mean, it is four years later. Four years, same phone and ringtone. Well, that was the Nokia sound, so maybe it was back then. Yeah. Whatever, it's, it's, a, it's a good it's a good indication when she realizes that it's her in the bathroom coming up. Yeah, no. Speaking of the the bathroom in the club, how good is this song that plays when they enter the enter the club? Down, 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 down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the way the the camera zooms in to the beat of the song. Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah. It gets you pumped. It's so it really badass. Like it really... The, the slow-mo of them all coming in. And you see, like, she's walking on those weird Japanese shoes. Yeah. Like, she just doesn't seem threatening. It just, show, it just shows it shows the power of her. And you've got all these people coming in. She's just n- not faced. She mm. just cruise on in. Yeah. We can see how difficult this is going to be for the bride when she's coming in here. Mm. It's funny because this Charlie Brown guy... I forgot that they called him Charlie Brown. So when we see him, I'm like, he looks like Charlie... Oh. Really? Yes. I completely forgot they called him Charlie Brown. I don't know who Charlie Brown is. Are you serious? Like, I know Peanuts, but I've never, ever watched Charlie Brown or... Charlie Brown is so iconic because of his bald head and his his up and down stripy black and orange shirt. And I just... I saw him like, he looks like Charlie... Oh, I think they say that. (laughs) Next bit we see is the bride actually walking up to outside of where Oren and her crew are. And kudos to Oren Ishii. She just stops, she hears something, and throws that dart, narrowly missing the bride. And Gogo just, she's just like, Gogo. She just gets up, goes out there. How did she get up there so fast? I mean, it's ridiculous. It is. The whole thing really is, in all honesty. It's a great shot, though. It is a very good shot. How did she not hear it come down? Gogo. (laughs) Gogo's great. Gogo is fantastic. Yeah. She's a great character in this film. For what little screen time she has, she's fantastic in this. She's just menacing. I mean, really, everyone has little screen time except Brian. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So this is where we get this humongously long shot from the the, the stage into the bathroom like a, as an over-the-top crane shot, and then it comes in, and you see the bride getting changed, and then the shot continues like at a first-person level uh, coming back out, and then it follows Sophie back into the bathroom. It's all one shot. It is, it's very well done. It actually took them six hours to rehearse it and took 17 takes to get it right. Mm. In fact, after they'd finished, apparently the steady cam operator was rumored to have passed out after exhaustion. Really? Six hours? Six hours to rehearse. 17 takes. So you reckon there's six hours of rehearsing and then 17 takes? I'd imagine there would be. So how was, do you think they're rehearsing if they're not trying to do takes? They were practicing it. Gee, lot goes into it, eh? Definitely. And you get another one of those quick revenge flashes. Like, you don't actually see the flash this time, but you just get the song. Mm. And you know what that is. Yeah. It's and you can set just, it up you can just see her. She's getting angry. She's ready to unleash. Yeah. And when it starts to happen and that music comes back in, she yells out to, the, yells out to her oh, from the distance. Already she. Yeah. Well, how funny was it, though, that she has that much power that the guards have to open a specific door for her to even start walking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was one right there for yeah. her. No, no. No, 
And did you actually notice she walks past the one that was open yeah. to the one that they've just opened? Yeah. Like, they could have left that one open and it'd be a shorter distance for her. Yeah, exactly. But they do this completely different door for her. I love her. that you see her just standing there. Like, yeah. they open it. Oh, no. This one. Yeah. Then she goes. Yeah. But what is really effective here is the build-up of this song as it goes along. You have no idea what's going to happen if you're seeing this for the first time. Now, she's got Sophie there. She pops out from behind her to reveal herself to Oren. And again, you get that beeping of the name. It's actually kind of muffled over the music by this point because the music has gotten so loud over the top of it. And then you get this, the zoom in of the eyes and you see what we did with Vanita, her flashback of now it's Oren beating the shit out of her mm. and the zoom in of her. And that music again and she just snaps and hacks off her arm. And again, comical blood sprays everywhere, which actually sprays the camera. Does it? Yeah. When she falls on the ground and, uh, and it aims yeah. towards the camera, the blood sprays all over the camera, which probably wasn't supposed to happen, but it, it happened and they're like, oh no, we've got to keep that in. Hmm. That's good. So we get the first little mini boss fight here. Wait, before that, everyone you know screams and runs out of the place. <laughs> you get a quick little undershot of the bride walking along the glass. Ah, of course, of course. You did see what yeah, it said on the On the, the bottom of the shoes, it yeah. says, fuck you. That's awesome. It's great. Like- <laughs> The level of detail to go to to put something under the shoe that you know, like, so few people are ever going to know about. Yeah, exactly. It's great. I did notice here that this is like the first time that Oren flinches a bit. You see her drop her demeanor a tad. She blinks. I mean, Sophie's described as her best friend. No, no, I don't mean... Okay, yeah, she flinches a bit when he, she hacks her arm off, but when everyone's run out of the club and the bride's staring at her, they're staring down, and that's when she's like, she blinks. She like, she zones out of it for a bit. Like she doesn't, she can't keep the stare down with her. Mm, I didn't notice that. But who does she send down first? Mickey, shit little bloke. But it is a good little thing here because it basically shows just how powerful this sword is. He comes running at her, and one quick. It's swipe. not a lightsaber. It's a sword. How powerful her Hattori Hanzo sword is. She cuts that sword in half in one swipe. Very impressive. Quickly disposes of the rest of the the no names, the red shirts. Mm. But then you get. Go, go. And this scene's fantastic. One of the best. Oh, no, Dean. Excellent! I considered it, but no, not for me. It is fantastic, though. I think this fight scene is the best of the bunch. It's amazing because Gogo the character's amazing. The actress is just nailing her role, and th- but it's a weapon that, that sells this scene. There's nothing like this weapon. Do you know what it's called? No, I don't. Please enlighten me. It's actually called a meteor hammer. That makes perfect sense. It does. Yeah, that's it really a nice, does. nice description it's great, of it. Fantastic weapon. But what I think is so great about this scene is the fact that it is one-on-one. Like, it's so... Mm. Like, we'll get into the next scene, which which I do love as well, but I feel like this is much more personal and contained. It's some fantastic and, choreography. And there's some legitimate fear with the bride here. Exactly. Like, she gets her and she nearly kills her. Yeah. Like, whereas when she's fighting the Crazy 88... There's never really a time where you're like, okay, she's going to get killed here. Exactly. This now, is her obviously, she's match. not going to here because you already no. know she beats or she's killed Oren. But when she's got her strangled with that thing and she's just choking her, you're just like, how the hell is she going to get out of this? Yeah, this is, this is the one fight, basically, where she should have lost if it was not for, I guess, Gogo's ego that she had to get up close and personal when she's strangling mm. her mm. and she got the jump on her. If she hung back, she would have killed her. It would have been mm. over. But I love that. Great shot of her swinging that media hammer around while the bride has got her samurai sword stretched out. And you just hear that, that sound, that, mm. that whole time. The whole time the this, this scene's going on, you get that. <laughs> and because it's so unpredictable, you don't know when she's going to like lunge this thing at her. Yep. She's swinging around her head, her legs, and you just, when is yep. this going to happen? Yep. Even the sounds of like all the tables breaking, they were so prominent. Like they were in your face every time one of those would happen. 
Actually, did you know when they were shooting the scene where she flings the ball and the chain out and it comes back and hits her in the head? It actually hit Tarantino. Mm. <laughs> I mean, no, I did say that. That's pretty funny. And even the bit where, like, you already think this weapon's insane and she drops it, clicks a button, oh, and the yeah. bloody blades come out of this ball. You're like, oh, God. Especially when she flings it at her and you get that shot from the bride's point yeah. of view where it's like slow-mo coming yeah. out of like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> and that shot right at the end when she... The bride does get the upper hand and puts the table leg into her head and you just get the bleeding eyes shot mm. as she just slumps down. Oh, yeah, the, the crying blood look. Yeah. It's oh, so good. So good. It was fantastic. Best scene. Mm. No, it's, I mean, it's fantastic. But here we get the Crazy 88. Mm. I love this shot. This opening shot is my favourite part of this, not the movie, of this Crazy 88 fight scene. Is it? Are you talking about when they're all around they're her? They're all circling her. Yeah. And the music's building up, and she's got that just epic pose where she's using the the sword as a mirror to see around her. I like it when she... And then she, like, flinches. Yeah, she, like, and you see them the all back. Yeah, it's like a pulsating the circle. Yeah. And yeah, that they was come fantastic. Back. It, yeah, it's so good. Then, of course, we get, you know, a ton of violence, but it hits to the black and white when we get this very quick shot of her pulling the eye out of one of the 88s. Yeah. Now, that comes back, obviously, in a big way in Volume 2, but it's a great way to transition to the black and white because it's suitably violent. Like, I think a lot of people watching this would know that it went to black and white here because the rating board deemed this scene too violent and they would only accept it as a black and white, except, of course, in Japan where they were able to show the full-coloured version. But it also worked kind of well for Tarantino because... Back in the 70s and in the 80s, US television airings of Kung Fu movies, they would do the same thing to to stop showing all this red blood. Yeah. So, it kind of worked out well. Like, they actually asked him to cut the whole scene. They wanted it, They didn't want it in the movie. Yeah, so, on. he compromised by doing this and also used it as, you know, his homage to Kung Fu movies in mm. America. And it works as well as a stylistic choice. Like, it fits the bizarreness of this film as well. Have you seen the Japanese? Have you seen the color version of this? Have you? Yeah, I have. It's on YouTube. I'll put the link in the show notes for everyone if you want to go and watch it. But there's a couple of extra bits that didn't make it into the black and white bit as well. Most notably, the eyeball that she plucks out, she throws into someone's mouth that it swallows. And you get that reaction from Sophie. She's like, oh, as she's watching it. You also see a female gang member get throated by the bride. And you get the first appearance of the young gang member she finishes off with later. Oh, really? He comes in and she like slices his mask off to reveal his face and she gives that look that she does later like what are you doing here mm. and ends up picking him up and throwing him into a bunch of gang members okay yeah so i recommend everyone goes and looks at it it's it's pretty good yeah i'll go check it out now obviously tarantino is very big on practical effects in most in pretty much all of his movies here so much so that he insisted that the bloody spurts be done with condoms full of fake blood that would splatter on the impact Mm. rather than put the CGI in. That's how they did the big splats. Yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah. practical effects are fantastic. Yeah, oh, obviously makes it more realistic because it is actually happening. Yeah, exactly. Did you notice the Wilhelm screams? There oh, was two. Heaps. No, there was two. Was there? Yeah. There was one in the middle of just the random fighting, and then there was the one with the guy who falls down the stairs. Okay. I really like how when she goes upstairs, you can hear all the guys still yeah. from the lower deck screaming out in agony from having their limbs chopped off. Yeah. You know, like, it would have been real easy just to not do that, but definitely keeps continuity and makes it feel real. Exactly. And the shot, the visuals of having this bright blue background and the, the figures are all full black. Yeah. It's it's so, it's just, it grabs you. Did you catch it's that weird sound effect when they turn the lights off? No. Very, like, mystical when it happened. I catch it every single time. It's well done. 
Now, this Johnny Moe, the leader of the Crazy 88s. Oh, I swear, he's got a cool weapon, too. I swear we see him get taken out a couple of times throughout this fight scene. First time, he, I think he cops a bamboo stick to the head, and he either dies or he passes out from that. I well, think, he doesn't die. All right, but get this. When she's, fir- when she's back down on the lower level, she's fighting another guy who looks extremely similar to him, and then she stabs him in the gut. And she and that's the guy she's swinging around as she's trying to re- recoup before she starts going into her like breakdancing samurai moves. Mm. And then sure enough, he pops up again at the end here. But this guy's terrible. He's no good. Does a couple of spins, gets his legs hacked off, and he's dead. Like not really that good of a head guard, is he? He was all right. He had her on the back foot a few times. They're on the balcony, and he's attacking her, and she's having to retreat, and she falls down. He and- never had the upper hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was all shit. Right. So now we come to what is my... Excellent! Very good. Very good choice. I did I did think a bit about this, and there's no... For me, there's no real massive standout scene. Like, because it... And that's not a blight on the movie. No, no, I there's agree. There's just so much that is at such a high level. Yeah. It's just like, well, this bit's great, this bit's great, this bit's great. But what, what put it over the edge for me was, I think Lucy Liu is fantastic here. I think the writing is brilliant, and the main thing, honestly, the cinematography. It, oh, so this, good. This Japanese, the snow, it's nighttime, the snow's falling as oh, well. Oh, dressed in all the white. You get that water fountain that, like, yeah, hits that makes the block. Sound. It, all, it all builds up to the tension, and... You know, the bride, their, their interaction here, it's, it's brilliant. Like, the bride tells Oren it's a Hanzo sword, and she just, like, immediately, Usatsuke! Actually, did you know that Oren Ishii is modelled after uh, a different character, Lady Snowblood, the way she's dressed here? That's very much how she's known, hmm. with this white get-up she's got going. Yeah. But it's funny, because Oren says to the bride that she hopes she's kept some em- energy after all that fighting, because otherwise she won't last five minutes. It's funny you say that, because this entire fight goes for 4 minutes and 59 seconds. Yeah, from when the music kicks, kicks in, they actually start fighting. Yeah, it's just under 5 minutes. Yeah, so, so that was very, clever. very deliberate. No, for sure. But, again, as I've said, we already know the bride defeats Oren from the death list we've seen earlier. So, the suspense with who wins, it's non-existent. Right, no, it's more of a case of how it's going to happen. Yeah, but it, it what it does is it allows you to sit back a bit and just enjoy the master filmmaking that's going on. Yeah. So Oren get, does get the upper hand at one point, right? Mm. She slashes the bride's back. First of all, it was annoying that there wasn't any blood on the snow from this gash. Yeah, but, fair enough. I can I can forgive. I mean, it is snowing. But she drops to the ground, right? And the framing here of the close-up of her head is almost identical to the very opening yes. shot where she... You know, you, the first shot you see where the bride's in the wedding dress with just her head showing. It's really, really well done. No, I completely agree. And then, and then, just before I know you want to say something, but before you get there, the the line from Oren when she when she says to the bride for ridiculing you earlier, I apologize, and just shows a level of respect. Yeah, absolutely. Like between these two people, it's it's just beautiful. They have one final blow here. Yeah, gets her scalp taken off. Worst shot of the film. What, the shot of, of Lucy Lou? The shot really? where it pans up and you see her scalp with her brain sticking out the top. It looks so fake. Well, and the way her head, it's sort of like her head like rounds up and then goes outwards. Okay, I did see that. <laughs> and then like you see the brain sticking out. If she'd cut the way it looked, like she's cutting the top of her brain off. Like there's no way it. she's cutting a circle around her head so the brain's sticking out the top. 
It doesn't make sense. And it's interesting because originally she was actually meant to behead her. But the reason they didn't do that is because they wanted the moment where, you know, Oren can sort of say, oh, it really is a Hanzo sword, right? And she's beheaded. She can't obviously say that. But why does she need to say that? She's just seen all... She's seen a guy... Because seen- it, builds, it builds up the mythology of Tori Hanzo. But why is it that that is the reason why it's a Hanzo sword? Because she t- took off half her skull. She split a guy in half downstairs before. Vertically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course it's a Hanzo sword. <laughs> We, we talk about Tarantino trademarks. We obviously get one here with the trunk shot with Sophie in the, the trunk with the yep. bride looking up, yep. looking down into it. Yep. But I do like how they have this back and forth of, like that Sophie is telling Bill what the bride told her to say. Hmm. And that is a very effective ending to this part of the film where he's tell- where she tells them, I'm going to kill them all. Like, and they will all be as dead as Oren. Yeah. And I think that is where this part of the film is technically supposed to finish. Then you get the, the back half here of- you know, wrapping it up to kind of tie this film up. Well, I like that you see her write the list out and because you hadn't seen, you'd only seen number one and two at this point. Did you notice the the mistake? Yeah, I did. I but- don't really care. So, if anyone didn't know, like there's, I'm pretty sure she writes, at this point she writes the list and it's in red, but when you see her crossing off the uh, Oren's name, it's all in black. Mm. It's like, whatever. Like <laughs> Whatever. Um, but you do see number three is Bud and you get that, that clip from volume two, you know. <laughs> Bad woman. Deserves her revenge. And we deserve to die. Whatever. Um, four is Al and five is Bill. So you see where it's going for the next part of the movie. And then you get that last sort of tease. Does she know the baby's still alive? Yeah. Like, if you're going fi- like, to cut this film boom. in half. Yeah, if you're going to cut this film in half, that is the perfect way to end it. Mm, that's great. Any last words? All right, Dean, what's your final thoughts on Kill Bill Volume 1? Kill Bill Volume 1 is a truly magnificent film. Tarantino is just let all barriers and constraints that regular filmmaking has sort of been... Like, he he already has been breaking it down, but in this movie, he goes full Tarantino from the jump, and it's an incredible, incredible feat. I love watching this film. It pumps me up so much for number two. I love that they keep things back in this film. There is so much mystery in this film called Kill Bill about this character of Bill. Like, the decision to not show him at all, one of the best things this movie does, honestly. To save that reveal for number two and make this purely about how she, you know, how she gets to where she is and where she's going, it's it's masterful. Like, Tarantino is a master. This is one of his finest films. Uma Thurman, you know, just having a baby aside, her performance is phenomenal. Like, she is really, really great here. Lucy Liu's great as well. But this film, I, it's such an easy film to watch. Like, it goes for nearly two hours, and you can watch it every week. Like, it never gets old for me. Mm-hmm. Watch it all the time. That's why this film easily gets a... Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Outstanding. From me. Very good. What about you, Hendo? What do you got? So, this film is so cool. It is cool. Like, Tarantino, he has his name all over it. His homage style to classic kung fu martial arts movies with a slight western tang makes for a completely enjoyable film from beginning to end. You can see the care and precision he puts into every frame of his craft. He holds nothing back and it shows. The story is incredibly simple, but it's the way it's told through a non-linear style, complete with a quippy and snappy script that makes it so much more engaging 
The soundtrack is superb. I can hear any of these songs away from this film and immediately have memories of this film trigger in my brain. They fit well with the scenes they're accompanied with and play a big part in how you should be feeling in relation to what is currently happening on the screen. Everyone is great in their respective roles. Uma Thurman carries this film as the rage-filled revenge-seeking bride and makes this character completely iconic and memorable. The action in this film is utterly insane. Stylishly choreographed, wickedly violent, and yes, over the top, but in a somewhat comedic way. I never took the violence seriously in this film, and that's not a negative to it. That's Tarantino following the style of samurai martial arts films, and it worked beautifully in this film. I honestly didn't realize how short this film was as well. I thought this was well over two hours long. Yeah, when I went into it recently, I'm thinking, okay, I'm strapped myself in for a two hour plus film, but it's not, it's an hour and 50. I actually thought it was shorter. Oh, really? I was surprised it was an hour 50, because I, I don't think of this film as having a whole lot actually happening, and knowing that it was originally going to be one film that they split, I could have seen this as an hour 40. Well, I think because the whole, both films together, goes for over f- four hours, so I'm just, mm. I, I would just, I was just naturally assuming, okay, we've got a two-hour film here, but we don't. We have an hour 50 for volume one, and we actually have two hours 15 for the second one. And it's because this film is ultimately very tight, and it's tied together fantastically with chapters. It's, like you said, it's insanely rewatchable, mm. thoroughly entertaining, a wonderful display of craftsmanship from its director, and without question, gets an... Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Outstanding. From me. Very good. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where does this sit on your rankings? Okay, so being a five-star film for me, we'll go straight to number seven at the moment is The Terminator. Definitely better than The Terminator. Number six, Die Hard, better. Saving Private Ryan. Yep. It's better than that. Then you go to number four, Donnie Darko. Again, there's no question at this point. Kill Bill's <laughs> better than that. Then we hit The Matrix, and that's where it's got to stop. Oh, okay. So, Kill Bill for me is actually not as good as The Matrix, La La Land, and obviously Once Upon a Time in America. So, it sits at number four for me. Oh, okay. Okay. What about you? All right. Well, Do we have a new number one? Well, we're going to find out if you let me talk. Why don't we start? Very at, aggressive. At, yeah, well, you keep interrupting me. <laughs> I want to tell them. No, let's start. I'm just trying to move the conversation forward. You see, listeners? (laughs) Let's start at number 11. 11? Come on. There's no way. We're going through my top five films. Okay. Your top five films. Interesting. Number 11. No, keep all this in. Let's start with my five-star films. (laughs) All right. Let's do this a little bit quick to start with. It's better than The Terminator, The Prestige, Your Name, The Wizard of Oz, La La Land, Toy Story. Okay. We're in our top five. Is it better than Die Hard? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Not much of a question there. Is it better than No Country for Old Men? Yeah, it is. It is. Is it better than Saving Private Ryan? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. So, we've got another contender for top spot here. Two movies in a row. Is it better than The Matrix? You think it isn't? I think you think it's better than The Matrix. You're wrong. I think The Matrix is better. Oh, good. Yeah. Me too. So, I have Kill Bill Volume 1 at my number two film. How ironic. Hey, this is Clay. This is Corey. And we are the Two Dads Review Podcast. Uh, what do we talk about, Corey? Movies? Yes. Uh, TV shows? Yes. And we're dads? Are those all questions? Y- yes. Oh, okay. Well, find all that and more over at twodadsreview.com and your favorite podcast app. Hey listeners, we just want to take a quick second to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and 
all things movie related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show to get our name out there, and there are a couple of ways you could help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. You know, let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and all the other podcast catches you can search for, we're probably on there. And hey, if you find one we're not on, let us know so we can fix it. You can contact us on Twitter at IMDB Journey, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash IMDB Journey, our Letterboxd page at letterboxd.com slash IMDB Journey, or you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, then why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down other films not on the IMDb Top 250. Yeah, that's right. What have we got coming up this week, Hendo? Well, we've decided to put a hold on our Wes Anderson series for a week and continue our discussion from today with Kill Bill Volume 2. It's going to be interesting to see which one we think outshines the other. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. Hey everyone, it's Chris and Mike from The Recasting Couch, the podcast where we take our favorite movies and discuss what they would be like with new actors in all the lead roles. Hey Mike, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find our website at therecastingcouch.com or on Twitter at RecastingPod. And of course, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, if there's a service that's not posting our pod, you let us know and we will rectify that immediately. Damn right. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, let's get into... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh. Our first one here is from Letterboxd with our patron, Chris, who selected this film for us. Most people consider Pulp Fiction or Inglorious Bastards to be Tarantino's best film, but for me, Kill Bill is his peak. I think the whole bloody affair is his masterpiece. I grew up on chop socky films, and when I found out that my favorite filmmaker was going into that genre, I was ecstatic. When the film was released in 2003, it was restricted to ages 18 and over, and at the time, I was only 15. I snuck into a screening, and it was everything I could have wanted in a film at that time. Man, I wish we did that. Yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) Uma Thurman as the bride is one of my favorite characters in film, and I never tire of watching her seek revenge. Tarantino's script is equally entertaining, and the ridiculous amount of gore has now become a recurring theme in his films. The fight choreography is amazing. The soundtrack and original score by Rizar has remained in heavy rotation for me for years. Apologies for my rambling, but I love Kill Bill, and that's why I chose this film for you lads to break down. I hope you two got a kick out of it, like I did. We certainly did. We absolutely did, and I hope that you get a kick out of listening to us get a kick out of it. Very good. Okay, we've got another review here from Hayden, one of our valued patrons. I have seen this film many times, and I never get tired of it. It is a very entertaining ride from the anime backstory of Oren to the bride visiting a sushi bar in Okinawa. As with all of Tarantino's films, the soundtrack is utterly superb. He just knows how to work a piece of music into a scene like no one else. I love Daryl Hannah as Elle here as well. Her conversation on the phone with Bill and the following speech to a comatose Uma is awesome. The hospital scene with Buck is intense. For me, it has such a gripping thriller vibe that I just love. When the camera pans down slowly to reveal Uma lying in wait with pocket knife in hand is great. 
The Crazy 88 fight is insane, wild and enjoyable, as well as the fight with Gogo giving a whole new meaning to the old ball and chain. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. The the finale in the snow is fantastic. Who doesn't love that little fountain weight board? Uma Thurman gives a great performance as a bride on her journey for revenge. I don't think I like her feet as much as Quentin, though, just yet. (laughs) That'll give it time. I don't think we'll ever get there. (laughs) Overall, Kill Bill Volume 1 is a must-see for any film fam, dripping with style and blood. It is masterfully directed and sits high up in my personal favourites. An easy five stars. Thank you very much, Hayden. Great review. Thanks, Hayden. All right, moving over to Twitter. We've got one from the video store. Kill Bill still holds up, but I can't imagine watching Volume 1 without watching Volume 2 immediately after. When considering both, I can't think of a more epic movie experience since. Hmm. Can't argue with that. No, of course not. And we've got another one here from Kevin Kendrick. This movie was just plain epic. My favourite characters were Beatrix and... Uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he was played by David Carradine. You know it's that Bill, you idiot. <laughs> Bill. How could you not know that? And the fight scene with Uma and Vivica was amazing. Thank you very much for those reviews there, guys. But we've got one left here, and that's from... Shane! There was so much hype going into this movie when it came out, because I was already a Tarantino fan by this point. His films were so clever and interesting, although Jackie Brown was definitely a dip after Pulp Fiction. I think with Jackie Brown, the goal there was to prove Tarantino didn't have to rely on violence to make a good movie, and Kill Bill was the comeback, the ultimate reversal. Violence was full on, but of course Kill Bill is so much more. Watching it today, it is still so captivating, especially in the final act of the film. The swordplay choreography is amazing, among the best in cinema. What I'll also notice is how well Tarantino cuts the film together. Every shot offers something to deliberate effect. He doesn't miss a beat. The music. How the music goes so well into this film. It's like a music video almost, with a great film behind it. Everything just flows so well and just grabs you. You're just taken into the story, the action sequences, the twists and turns. For me, it's my favourite Tarantino film. I think he absolutely knocked it out of the park with this one. Seriously, it's so rare to find a film that works this well. Volume 2 is a lot slower, though it works in other ways but you can be less critical of Volume 1. I remember the cliffhanger in theatres, and it just made you want to watch the second one so bad, and made the film last longer in your mind as a result, as you wondered what would happen next, and who the other targets were, and how their scenes would play out. And of course, the greatest unknown was Bill. Trying to conceive a greater and more powerful villain than Oren Ishii was just about impossible. We hadn't even seen his face. Great review, Shane. Thanks, Shane. That was fantastic. No worries. All right, now let's get into... That's my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite action film from the 2000s? And we got a couple of answers here. First one from Sam from the Movie Reviews and 20 Qs podcast. There's The Dark Knight, and then there's everything else. And I actually did a guest spot with Sam and Stacey on the Movie Reviews and 20 Qs podcast coming out shortly, where uh, we spoke about Casino Royale. Oh, right up your alley. Yeah, exactly. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. We had a great time over there. From a podcast about something, Dark Knight 300 or Training Day. Movie Geek and Proud said, I love the action in Kill Bill and Sin City. Go Postal say Kill Bill 100%. The Cinema Guys say definitely Equilibrium. Pull that movie out to watch at least once a year. 
We've got Mike, Mike and Oscar saying Ip Man. That's an interesting pick. It's different. I haven't seen it. Well, it was on the top 250 for a little bit back in the day. It's not there anymore. Huh. JD from the Intercession Film Podcast said, without much thought, I'd probably say the Bourne films. From patron Aliani Silvermist, this is a tough one. A lot of these fall into a different genre for me, especially the sci-fi and fantasy movies. I'm going to go with Minority Report. I can't stand Matt Damon, so I can't vote Bourne. The Tasteless Podcast said, Kill Bill has to be the best action-wise because I still think about that Lucy Liu fight scene. Mm. From the Film Inquiry Podcast, I will say Crank High Voltage. Have you seen Crank High Voltage? Uh, Maybe. I saw one of the cranks at the cinemas. It's out there. It's very out there. Yeah, I don't know. And our last one here from Daniel Del Pagetto, The Dark Knight, one of the best films ever made. So thank you very much for your responses there and to everyone else who put a response in. But Dean, let's get to our top five action films of the 2000s. Let's do it. Dean, what's your number five? Well, first up, before we get into this, this is a very subjective list. So to say a movie's an action movie, like these films are action films, but they might also cross over into other genres. Yeah. Thrillers, dramas, you know, fantasy even. There are different types of movies that are action movies. Yeah, I I was having a conversation with our recent guest, The Contrarians, about what kind of question are you going for here? Are you going for movies with the best action, or are you going for action movies that are the best movies overall? And it's, you know, you can weigh both sides differently. I've I've gone with my favourite films that are action films, not the films with the best action in it. I have to. That's that's usually what I go for. Like, when people say, what's your favourite... Bruce Willis films. You, I, I don't go based off his performance. I go based off the entire movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that, that's what my list is going to be here too. Yep. All right, let's, let's go, Dean. Number five. Number five, The Last Samurai. Very good. Mm. Very much enjoy that film. I as, have, as, as do I. I have a, some sort of martial arty sword film here. My number five, I have Hero. Mm. Just missed out on my list, Hero. Yeah. Fantastic movie. All right, number four, sir. Number four, theme of the day, Kill Bill Volume 1. Cross it off my list too. That's number four for me. Kill oh, Volume One. Nice. All right, number three. I'm going Swords and Sandals, Gladiator. I thought you were going to say Swords and Sandals. I'm like, I've never heard that film. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Gladiator, very good. My number three film is the one I just spoke about before, Casino Royale. Hmm, very nice. Your number two. My number two, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Okay. All right. I understand people want to argue with some action film. There is a ton of action. It's a in different this film. type of action. It's fantasy action. Yeah, that's still action. Fine. All right, my number two. You just mentioned it before, Gladiator. Mm, can't argue with that. No. All right, number ones. Number one. I mean, this is pretty easy. It's got to be. If we're talking two thousands, we're talking Batman. Got to be Batman Begins. Did you? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. What about you, Hendo? Oh, I'm not going to say. Okay, so I know that I know that you're sure, and that's perfectly fine. Like. In all honesty, Batman Begins is my number six on this list. Yeah. So, but for me, I it's Dark Knight. It's, yeah. it's, it's obviously the Dark Knight. Yeah. Me. Yeah. So that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Okay, let's check out the final results for our Pod v Pod draft from last episode, where we had the Contrarians, Alex and Julio on as our guests, where we drafted Keanu Reeves movies, and we had The Matrix, Point Break, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, John Wick Chapter Two, and The Devil's Advocate. And they had Speed, John Wick 1, Street Kings, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and The Lake House. And let's have a look at a couple of comments here. Billy and Topher at We Watched a Thing, Contrarians All the Way. How can they lose with Speed on their list? From Melissa at the Brook Reading Podcast, I love Speed so much, 
but I just voted against it. Mm. Matrix, Point Break, Bill and Ted, and Devil's Advocate all on one side. Had to go with my boys. Thanks, Melissa. We no, really appreciate thanks, your Melissa. vote. <laughs> Sean Porritt said, I voted for IMDb Journey because you have the Devil's Advocate. Not really. just wanted to back you guys up since you said people would vote for you just because of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you do have Bill and Ted and the Matrix. I mean, that's more than enough. Mm. From the Tasteless podcast... Two Sandra Bullock movies equals automatic win. Yeah, there did seem to be a back and forth between it ended up being about Sandra Bullock films and Al Pacino films. It was the the first four of each draft didn't really matter. It was all about Lake House versus Devil's Advocate in the end. <laughs> but let's take a look at the results. We had eighty seven votes in the end, sixty nine percent to the IMDb Journey podcast. Once again, reigning supreme, six out of six. Killing it. Yep. So thank you very much, Alex and Julio, for your for your brave effort. You tried, but you failed. That's right. As everyone does. And as always, we put it out there. Come and, come and battle us, guys. You want to try and end our supreme reign here? <laughs> Go for it. Get <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. All right. Let's take a look at the Elite Eight in our best director tournament. Okay. The first match here is the number one seed, Christopher Nolan, against the number nine seed, Akira Kurosawa. Next up, we've got our number four seed, Stanley Kubrick, taking on our number five seed, Alfred Hitchcock. That is going to be a good match there. Our next match here is the number two seed, Steven Spielberg, against the Cinderella Boys, number 23, Joel and Ethan Cohen. Yeah, that would be an impressive win. <laughs> and finally, we've got number three, Martin Scorsese. How's this for a matchup against number six, Quentin Tarantino? Wow, that is tough. Easily two of my favourite directors there. It's, so. it's going to be fascinating to hear what you guys say out there about this. Absolutely. All right, we're looking forward to those results. So, what's next? All right, it's time to find out what movie we'll be watching next fortnight. Dean, hit that random number generator button and let's see where we're going. Ooh, it's a high one. We got number nine. Ooh, that is our highest so far. We've cracked the top tenner. Jesus. What film is that? It is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Nice. Wow. This is going to- Have we done a Western yet? Jimbo's Guess... a pseudo-Western. No Country for Old Men is yeah, Western-ish. fair enough. Logan is Western-ish. Yep, we've done a couple of different Westerns then, haven't we? But this one is going to be- This is full on. This one is going to be massive. And a top ten film- Calls for celebration. I'll bring the beers. Sounds good to me. Not really. I was oh, you, oh, you'll bring the beer. <laughs> the beer. <laughs> All right, listeners, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. We will have our next guest on for our Pod V Pod 8 next week. We'll talk about what else we've been watching as well. Dean, have you watched anything recently that you're going to be talking about next week? Yeah, I had the chance to catch First Man recently, so I'm looking forward to getting into that next week. What about you? Have you seen anything? Well, I'm just about to watch my 100th 2018 film coming up. So I did ask the Twitter universe out there, what film should I watch out of First Man and A Star Is Born? And 60% of them said A Star Is Born. So that's what I'm going to be watching soon in terms of what else I've watched so far. I did actually get to go and see Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, nice. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to see that yet. So we'll definitely be talking about that. So it looks like we're going to have a blockbuster what else we've been watching next week. Yeah, I've already seen five movies that I haven't talked about yet. Well, I know we both also saw Searching as well. Yes, we did see Searching. Yep. Oh, I've seen King of Comedy. Oh, did you? Have you watched no, Beast of No Nation yet? I haven't yet. We'll get to it. I will, I will. All right, thank you, listeners. We will see you next week for Pod V Pod 8. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.